Welcome to An Abundant Future with Matt Powers. I'm your host, Matt Powers, and we're talking about regenerative solutions that you can use in your daily life right now, as well as what's coming down the pipe with experts and leaders from around the world so you can know what steps you need to take to guarantee an abundant future for you and yours. Thank you for being here. Today, I want to start with a quote from a book I'm reading. I'm a huge Masanobu Fukuoka fan, but I'd never gotten around to reading Sowing Seeds in the Desert. Someone had told me that it was like philosophy, it wasn't really farming, and that's just hooey. It's fascinating what he talks about in this book. You should check it out. One Straw Revolution's incredible. I love that book. Both One Straw Revolution as well as Sowing Seeds in the Desert, both are edited by Larry Korn. Larry Korn was a reviewer as well as an advisor, editor, who helped me write The Permaculture Student 2, and he studied directly under Masanobu Fukuoka, and he was fundamental in getting these books published in America. If, if Larry wasn't the editor and wasn't the person who brought the book and represented the group of people doing this, who, who needed this to happen, this, these books wouldn't exist here or would have taken longer and we wouldn't have had the kind of reaction and the kind of establishment we have now of natural farming. So an incredible guy. This is an incredible book. I like to read it before bed because it's philosophical, you know. You get to start thinking about these things and, you know, really makes you reflective, thankful, grateful, and uh, contemplative on what, what you want uh, in the future. So this is something really fun, but I wanted to read a passage in here that had me kind of go through a gut check. And you might you might feel it too uh, if you've ever, you know, hand-pollinated or crossbred something yourself. So the section is naturally occurring hybrids in my rice fields. This is sowing seeds in the desert, Masanubu Fukuoka. Ten, ten or so years ago, I tried crossbreeding non-glutinous rice from Burma with Japanese glutinous rice in order to develop a new variety suited to natural farming. The two rices are extremely different in character, but the genetic characteristics of the parents were intermingled. So I wound up getting 20, 30, and sometimes several hundred different varieties. When I arranged these varieties, I noticed that their characteristics formed a continuum. There was non-glutinous rice close to glutinous, intermediate forms glutinous rice close to non-glutinous, and some in which glutinous and non-glutinous grains were mixed together on a single head. Some rice plants reached a height of only 10 or 12 inches, while others were giants more than 5 feet tall. There was also a succession of different colors of rice, white, red, and blackish brown. Some were flavorful, some not some powdery, some sticky. In this situation, it was impossible to say which was good and which was bad. I also came to the question, the value of distinguishing between non-glutinous and glutinous rices, and even between paddy and dry field culture. After years of crossbreeding rice in my fields, however, I finally concluded that on a natural farm, people do not need to create new varieties by artificial crossbreeding at all. Since the insects that people consider as harmful were creating new varieties on their own. In my rice fields, I noticed that after locusts and other insects had chewed round holes in the rice grains, just as the heads were sprouting, slugs, snails, cutworms, and other creatures came along and crawled in those holes. After which, windblown pollen from other varieties adhered and achieved fertilization. 
In other words, rice, which is said to be self-pollinating, can also be pollinated by other plants, and in this way, new varieties arise naturally. In a conventionally formed paddy field sprayed with insecticide, natural hybrids do not occur. On a natural farm, however, they can easily survive, and there are many chances for new varieties to appear. In the end, there is no need for people to imitate nature by carrying out artificial crossbreeding. It is, also, it is all being done for them. So I was like, oh man, I'm breeding plants. I'm creating new varieties. Ah, and then I thought about it and I was like, wait, but, but I'm doing it with the wind. I'm doing it with the insects. I'm doing it the way he's talking about. I don't have like holes being eaten in my plants that I've, I've seen, but I certainly didn't hand pollinate, you know, any, I, I did that early on, um, because I didn't have any bees. But then after I had bees and the bees moved from my hives to one of the trees, it just was 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 a done deal. It, it I, I never had to worry about pollination again. So I didn't I didn't have to do that for the Peruvian corn that that you know is the purple speckled impossible corn that I've grown that is being grown on twenty different sites all over America. Uh, I, I just didn't, you know, I didn't do anything like that. I set it up on the shady side of the hill underneath an oak tree. And I set it up so it would have less than 12 hours of light. And I just didn't, I was all hands off, you know. I didn't do any pollinating. I didn't do anything special. And it worked because I let things go. And people are like, oh, you didn't isolate it. Oh, anything could happen. Like, yeah, it's a rare Peruvian corn. And it's like, what's going to happen? It's like, the only thing that happened was it crossed with another Peruvian corn type in my mix on purpose because they were similar. And I planted them next to each other because I had a theory that their genes combined would give the new generation more to choose from and would make for a more resilient offspring, which it did. It created a new land race and it also took two impossible corns and made them possible again. So... Brad Gates' story is somewhat similar. He was inspired by a natural cross that nature made on his commercial farm. He was growing tomatoes, heirlooms, and he had stripes that crossed onto something else and made that brown boar tomato that we've talked about in previous podcasts. So he based his whole breeding career on this natural cross and it inspired him. So I've been thinking a lot about, you know, my seeds, Fukuoka seeds, and Brad Gates' seeds. And Brad Gates' seeds are some of the best tomato seeds in the world. Why is that? They've got great disease resistance, great vigor, earliness, drought tolerance, and high germination rates. Well, I think a better question to ask probably would be the larger question, which is how do we get pest and disease resistance, vigor, earliness, and drought tolerance, and high germination rates in the first place? Well, it comes down to how you interact with your seeds and plants. So let me save you some time effort and maybe even some money so listen it's not just my soils either if you're like oh well you're all the composting guy you got these great soils and stuff you know my seeds have been proven you know to outperform other commercial seeds in a diversity of climate soils and gardens so it's not just my soil it's the seed itself those characteristics that resistance you know is being carried in that seed so first let's talk about how i'm saving seed I select seed from the best plants in the worst soils or conditions. This makes for resilience, drought tolerance, and even like wind tolerance. And, and it usually correlates to a higher germination rate than normal. 
So these are plants that are performing in hard and difficult conditions. So these are the ones you want. And then suddenly if all your plants come from these few plants, and then you scale up and then you take the best of the best every year, you suddenly have an incredible resiliency built into your plants. Next, select seed from the earliest plants and save them separately from all the other seed you harvest. Contrary to you know popular belief that like we should eat our first harvest or sacrifice it or it's a special thing, it is a special thing, don't get me wrong. These, these should be consecrated, you know. Th this is how we maintain earliness and increase earliness in plants. This is how we have super short day corn, you know, like painted mountain corn or gaspy. You know, these corns, this tomato, all these plants that were getting super early, they went through this process. To find disease or pest resistance, you may have to grow a large amount of that plant type and then let the disease or pest attack your crops and see what plants survive. And you know, those surviving plants are tolerant or resistant, and those are the ones you save seed from and scale up the next year and see what happens. Because next year you might do it, and you might have like half your field is resistant, and then you save seed from those, and then you know, and then you work it out of their system. Or maybe it's a soil-borne disease, and you might have to treat your soil. You know, it all really depends. And then lastly, I am also really rough and messy uh, with my seed saving. So in other words, I do it by hand. A ton of seeds get blown away. I'm blowing it as I'm shaking it in this bowl. And only the heaviest seeds remain. The densest, the largest seeds. And this makes for the most nutrient-dense and mature seeds only. So advanced seed saving is the path to seeds like you've never seen before. And plants that are beyond your dreams. Partnering with nature is seed saving. You can do this. And I believe that we can be nature's hands in partnering with the locusts, the bees, and the butterflies, and all the pollinators to pollinate our plants by design and even sometimes by hand. If you need some amazing seeds to start with, you can certainly visit my store at thepermaculturestudent.com seeds or tune in for our seed book or in course giveaways and live Q&A on Facebook Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Pacific time. And that's just Facebook dot com slash the permaculture student i'll see you there until then i'm matt powers grow abundantly learn daily and live regeneratively